morning, everyone, and welcome to week two of our readings. Now, in this week's lecture um, video, really, uh, I actually get to talk about big words here. Possibly my favourite paper of all time. Um, it's a very weird paper to have as a favourite paper. I, I personally think the concept of a favourite paper is is weird, but there we go. Um, I actually met Jessica once and told her it was my favourite paper. And she looked at me, I'm pretty sure it was disbelief. Uh, she might have thought I was being sarcastic. Um, but it is, and, and there's, there's, there's really, it's not so much about the findings, but it's more this... This, this preaching of innovation and thinking outside the box. And I guess we need to take a second, look at the title, From Marine Ecology to Crime Analysis. I mean, think about the, the idea of linking those two. You know, the, I'm trying to, to solve a, a number of serial murder cases. Well, where do you get your science from? Oh, fish. I actually get it from the fish. Right, okay. It, it's just they don't go together straight off the bat, but it's... When you see what she's done in the paper and the way that she's kind of bridged these two concepts theoretically, it makes so much sense. And I mean, we wrote a paper a while ago, which I'm not assigning, it's far more boring than this, um, where we basically were looking at terrorism. And we said, well, why don't we, instead of thinking about terrorist organisations as unique organisations, why don't we think about terrorist organisations as businesses apple microsoft zoom you know they all have the same issues right they need to recruit people they need to keep people whatever it is right so so you you can learn so much by looking outside of this very nuanced focus that you have and i think that's really important especially in in newer sciences right you know physics is an old science it doesn't need to borrow anything from fish um but you know like like Crime psychology, terrorist psychology, all of these areas, they they have a habit of, of creating new things and saying they need to because they're, they're new phenomena. Or, you know, we need extreme science because the thing we study is so extreme. Well, I don't think humans change that much. And I personally like, you know, this, this idea that, you know, going on with something evolutionarily old helps you understand it. And then that's what this paper does, is it, it kind of... It, it broadens the scope and comes up with it. Well, let's go with a, you know, a universal idea and let's apply it to this new area. So, I mean, one of the reasons I want to do this paper as well is, is without a bit of guidance, you can, I worry that you can kind of read it, see a few symbols and equations and, and not really want to engage any further. And heaven, I don't want to engage any further when a paper gives me equations. Um, so I thought this would be a nice one as well to kind of walk us through it and, and see it together. So from marine ecology to crime analysis, improving the detection of serial sexual offences using a taxonomic similarity measure. Now, so the key things here is this idea of a, of a similarity measure. And what Jessica is going to talk about in the uh, albeit very brief introduction, which is great, um, is this idea of similarity. So what they're looking at here is this interesting question of, um, and we'll see this in the Paul Britton case will be a good one. Um, let's take this idea, right, that we've got seven or eight murders or seven or eight, in this case, sexual offences. And you have a really interesting question of, am I dealing with one offender, two offender, three offenders, 
uh, at the same time or, or, or sequentially, right? How many perps, if you will, pardon my criminal mind's lingo, how many perps am I looking at? Now, the way that that was being calculated before was a concept called Jacquard's coefficient of similarity. Now, what Jacquard's coefficient of similarity does is it basically looks at all of the behaviors. Let's, we're going to go with a, a two-crime model just because it's easier. All of the behaviors in crime A, all of the behaviors in crime B, right? A and B. And it's going to measure the degree of similarity. So what percentage of behaviors, of behaviors overlap with crime A and crime B, right? Let's say they both did 10 behaviors um, and five of them are similar there would be 33% overlap because there's five unique behaviors in A, five unique behaviors in B, and five shared behaviors. Five over 15, 33%. They'd have a 33% level of similarity. Right? And that's how they were calculating similarity between crimes in an attempt to infer um, the likelihood that they had a similar offender. Now, what Jessica came up with, and her idea here, was to think about the idea of behavior as malleable yet also to a degree stable and what i mean by that is that the original taxonomic model the jacquards leaves you no space to um adapt or innovate right or or basically have any influence of the environment now, that's something that we'll have discussed by now, hopefully in week one, and definitely in this week, we talk about, you know, behavior as an interaction of environment and person. And, you know, a forensic psychologist, we have to think about how we know which one's which. Jackards doesn't let you do that because it looks at just the behavior, there or not there. And Jessica said is, well, hang on a minute. What if there are these superordinate structures that basically govern behavior so that the same structure can have three or four different manifestations of behavior in different situations, but they can still all kind of be similar. Um, so if you think about it, I'm trying to think of a good example. Right, let's imagine, uh, let's imagine uh, a crime. Let's go with a murder. Um, and let's say there are two behaviors, three behaviors. Uh, one behavior is the use of restraints. One behavior is the uh, an attack location that is uh, relatively secluded and one behavior is a attack location that is uh, opportunistic and public right all three of those are different but the first two are less different than they are with the third one what i mean by that is the use of restraints and a secluded location both show an evidence of kind of uh, planning, awareness, minimization of disruption, an attempt to probably minimize getting caught, etc. The third one, opportunistic, shows none of those. So the first two are similar behaviors, theoretically, but they are technically different. And the third one is completely different. So that's what this idea of a taxonomic hierarchy does, is it tries to factor in these um, superordinate structures in order to kind of allow you to think about similar themes of behavior rather than just uh, perfect overlap of the behavior. So if you actually look here, and I'm going to go, I'm going to go over with the mouse, figure one here. This is basically the kind of um, structure that Jessica put together, right? And so she basically says that there are three types of behavior um, 
three themes of behaviors in a, in a sexual offense control behaviors sexual behaviors and escape behaviors and then from there you can kind of work your way down now if you're asking yourself well this will make sense but where are the fish it's a very good question and what this is meant to model theoretically is the evolutionary pathway that separates uh fish i mean it's not necessarily fish i'll get to the fish in a moment but but let me try and remember it now um Prince Philip comes over for good soup. Prince. King Philip? Kingdom? Phylum? Class? Order? Something beginning with F? Genome? Good soup. Right, whatever it is. Right, Hopefully one of you will at least understand what I'm saying. But the idea that you can track the similarities and differences between species along a hierarchical nature, right? Two monkeys are closer together than a uh, monkey and a pterodactyl. That's the idea. So this structural model is actually how they detect the degree of overlap um, between fish in a pond. Like similarity of ponds. In the paper, it explains this better than I'm currently doing, but there you go. So anyway, this is the kind of the, the, the theoretical structure that you put together. So now, the similarity between two crimes is not the number of um, coexisting or overlapping behaviours, so, you know, crime A here or crime B. It's the number of overlapping behaviours factoring in the level of the hierarchy which is required in order to link them. So to give you an example of that, if you look at behavior one and behavior two, they are very, very near each other. So let's just say a bad example. Uh, behavior four and behavior five, they are very near each other. They're linked at level one, right? So behavior four and behavior five, different behaviors, but could realistically both show a similar strand of sexual behavior. Whereas if you look at behavior seven and behavior 10, you have to go all the way up to level, well, basically level five, so that's the beginning, in order to link those. So they're very dissimilar behaviors. So that's how that the taxonomic idea is factoring in these uh, these differences and similarities between the behaviors. So just if you're just going to go through her sample, she basically has a, a sample of data from a local police department. She classified all of the behaviors, uh, 55 agreed offence behaviours and then developed this kind of um, typology and then ran through the crimes to see the degree of similarity um, between uh, uh, offences committed by the same offender and, and by a different offender. And what you can see here, and I would take a few moments to look at this, I may go through it in class in more detail, depending on how I structure the lectures, um, but you can see the kind of the the... the the typology she's put together um, in figures uh, one, two, and three. So you've got the typology for escape behaviors, um, control behaviors, and sexual behaviors. So again, similar thing. If we were to look at sexual behaviors, you can see that there are kind of this early split of contact and non-contact. So a, a very much a, a contact, uh, and then contact can get split into penetrative and non-penetrative. Penetrative. Penetrative. Pre penetrative. So for example, you could have a, a contact sexual behavior that would be um uh so looking at the graph here digital penetration um or also fellatio so both of those are very very similar in what they theoretically represent and they are more similar than they are to something like uh um going all the way over to the right under the physical non-contact 
exposing a penis or, or self-masturbation. So what you're seeing here is how we can group behaviors in terms of thematic constructs, and we can use that in an attempt to um, create more nuanced or, or robust ways of kind of profiling someone. Because if you can imagine the idea of kind of the individual versus the environment, the offender may have intentions of the behaviors that they want to do. The environment may prevent them from exhibiting or realizing those intentions. Now, what this is saying is that it is perfectly possible that a non-contact physical offender has the intention of um, self-masturbation, but time and uh, and the situation or the behaviour of the victim don't allow him to. So the only behaviour he really is, a, is able to exhibit is just to expose himself, right? That is a kind of an, an example of, of, of personal and, and personal and environmental interaction. At the same point, you could have you know a, a non-penetrative contact offender who uh, has intentions of you know uh, touching the victim, but time doesn't allow him to get beyond uh, you know man, uh, manually removing the clothing, as you're seeing in Figure Two. And again, that's the interaction of the individual in the environment. But what you're unlikely to see is that someone who kind of is exhibiting non-contact physical behaviours would have exhibited contact penetrative uh, behaviours if they were given the opportunity because they're different themes of behaviour, implying a different theme of an offender. Um, so what you're going to see here if you go to her results page is that she runs the kind of the Jacquard's coefficient for accuracy, uh, runs it against a taxonomic similarity matrix and basically tries to look at the degree to which, uh, one, the her model can predict the whether the offence was committed by the same offender or not when it was, and two, how accurate that model is when you start to remove the data. And what you see basically in tables one, two, and three, I won't bore you too much with the contents, but one, two, and three, is that the Jacquard's coefficient is less robust and less accurate than taxonomic similarity. So the model that she's come up with, this idea of a kind of a hierarchical concept of thinking about the, the causes of behaviours, when you factor that in, you actually are better able to link crimes by offenders um, and also better able to link crimes when you have less and less uh, information or data uh, in the data set. So what you kind of, in a, in a discussion, you know, she mainly talks about these findings, but for me, I think it's broader than that. And I think it, it's really interesting because one of the, the things we'll have discussed by now and the paper that you looked at last week is this idea of kind of, you know, is criminal profiling good, yes or no? And we had, you know, we had Snook's paper and kind of his analysis of the subject in which he points out, you know, all of these issues and the, you know, the homology assumption and the assumption of behavioral consistency. And what Jessica's paper does, which I think is really important, is it says, well, yes, maybe those two assumptions do fail if you adopt a very, very strict policy that you are measuring the existence of similar behaviors as the specific behaviors themselves and not thinking more about themes of behavior. Because remember, you know, crime scene behavior 
an individual's behavior changes because of the environment, because of their moods, because of experience, because of, you know, previous uh, repeat crimes and things like that. So there's all these little factors that change the exact behavior that someone's going to exhibit. And what Jessica says is maybe we've developed something that allows behavior to evolve and change, but it doesn't really allow themes of behavior to evolve and change. And maybe we can be slightly better at this kind of profiling thing if we adopt a more thematic concept to grouping our behaviors rather than, you know, behavior, 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 behavior. Because I think what she is is noting here is that sometimes there is a over-focusing on single behaviors at the cost of taking a more broad brush kind of... Uh, conceptualization of all of the behaviors together and a really good example of this and one that we'll get to um, later in the course I believe is the uh, Paul Britton case where he was looking at the uh, green chain uh, rapes and the murder of Rachel Nickel. Um and in the second murder uh, the name the name leaves me for the moment um, but it'll come back to me uh, before the lecture um, the, the the second murder was was far more brutal um, committed by the same individual, Robert Knapper, but far more brutal. And the profiler at the time, Paul Britton, said that it was a different offender because it showed a, you know, uh, an increase of fury, I think was his, his specific words. And and the, the critique of the case, um, you know, Lawrence Allison, uh, he said, well, yes, it's far easier to exhibit fury when you are in someone else's apartment than the first murder, which was in a public place, albeit a quiet time, but in a public place. So it, Jessica's kind of approach here really helps us think about thinking of behaviours in terms of, of underlying themes that drive them and that are far more stable than just looking at the single behaviours themselves, which I think may be one of the reasons that many of the previous attempts to conceptualise concepts such as homology and consistency have failed, is because they do a very, very focused definition of of what the behaviors are with a kind of a uh you know a, a one size fits all well if they didn't do this exact behavior then it can't be the same person and not factoring in this interesting concept of behaviors can be different and similar and they can also be different and very different and if you factor in the degree of differences between the behaviors you you have a more nuanced and holistic understanding or approach to kind of the similarity of two instances um so anyway this has just been for as long as i can remember one of my favorite papers and i think it just speaks to the innovation of this kind of theoretical construct and kind of taking something so left field and and, and using it as a framework to guide thinking uh, in an area where we, we kind of thought we knew what we were doing all along. So I really hope you enjoy it. Um, Jessica's fantastic, and I recommend a lot more of her work if anyone is, uh, is interested in it. But this has always been one of uh, my favorites, and I hope it's kind of provided a, an interesting thought um, to kind of frame some of the discussions we've had about how we as psychologists conceptualize this uh, unknown mercurial effect of the environment on our on the behavior of offenders and, and how we use that to, to make judgments <laughs>